Welcome to Get Down to College Business. We will identify strategies that could make the difference between keeping university doors open and closing them for good. I'm pulling in business experts and higher ed leaders to debate the merits of strategies that could save the future of higher ed. I'm your host, Sarah Holton, PhD. Let's get down to college business. Hi, everyone. This is Sarah Holton and your host. I'm joined today by Dr. Susie Siegel. Susie is an attorney, educator, and Walsh College's chief champion, currently serving as their ninth president and CEO. She holds degrees in business, law, higher ed, along with certifications in heart math, executive coaching, neuroscience, and brain health, and more. She's the author of the book, Locus, Take Control and Change the Direction of Your Life, and also the author of the book, The Thrive Journal, a step-by-step guide to help you create and accomplish your goals. Welcome, Susie. Hi, Sarah. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And Susie, as I was putting together your bio, I realized it would actually be easier and faster if I would simply list the credentials you don't have. (laughs) Oh, there's a lot of them. Don't worry. <laughs> Thank you. All right. I'm sure you'll get that finished by the end of the year. All right. So a new college president such as Susie has an absolutely overwhelming list of priorities to tackle. Where to start? What to focus on to reap the most benefits? Susie is here to walk us through scrutinizing a higher ed institution with a business savvy lens. She will amplify the business of higher ed, by finding the blend of business and academia to run a successful college. So Susie, you're the chief champion, president, and CEO of Walsh College in Troy, Michigan. What do those titles mean in the context and world of higher ed? Oh, gosh, thank you so much, Sarah. Yes, so they they sound like a lot, but I would tell you the one I'm most proud of is the chief champion, because you have to know and believe in the very core of who you are in the institution that you serve and you represent. So you spoke about something I really want to highlight, and that is the blend of business and higher education. So Walsh College is an upper division in graduate business and technology college. Those are the programs we offer and focus on, many disciplines within there, but that's our focus. That's what we do. We know who we are, we know who we're not, and we deliver it exceptionally well. And as I say and believe in my core and our faculty and staff and everyone on our team, our students, our alumni know, We are the best business and technology college in the world. So when we are looking at blending the best, we want to look at what the best higher ed has to offer. The learning community, continuous improvement, you know, assessment when done so well elevates the outcomes and the results. We also look at the best practices of business, right? The focus on making sure that there's a margin so we can execute our mission, right? Because we're mission driven, but we're margin minded and we have to always look at that. At the same time, there's probably practices in both industries that may not be as useful. And we can say that humbly as academicians. I know I can say that. My doctorate's in higher education, leadership, and management. So I say that, you know, sitting with people in higher ed. And also there's probably areas of the corporate business world that we don't want to emulate. So it's about taking the best of both worlds, putting it together, and operating a strong college. You know, we teach good business practices. We teach students how to run companies or start businesses that are profitable, not for money's sake, but because money is the echo of value and who you serve. And we ourselves embody, aspire, and deliver that as well. So when I think about my role, it is ultimately to build a team around me. And I've done that and we continue to do that. And I love my my team. I consider leadership like a prism of leadership. It isn't just me making the call. It's the prism. It's the diversity. It's the inclusion of different voices, different perspectives throughout the whole organization. 
And yet I'm accountable for it all. And that's the part that's the incredible responsibility. And I'm our chief champion. So that's the most exciting part for me. Okay, so tell me about the top financial priorities and indicators that you focused on. So you walked in day one, month one, quarter one. What are you focusing on? Okay, so first and foremost, let me focus it through the lens of our mission. Nothing we do, whether it's financial or otherwise, everything has to fit within our mission, right? And what is our mission? And and the mission is broad enough to encompass a lot of different areas of delivery. So we can do credits, we can do certificates, we can do workshops, we can do you know alumni gatherings. At the same time, it has to fit our mission. The other things, we have everything on dashboards now. So what you measure moves. And one fortunate part of my background is the work I've done in entrepreneurship. I've trained it, I've been coached in it. I have a coach. I've always had a mentor and a coach, whether it's for my leadership or even for my business, like how to grow a business, how to do it in a way that isn't exhausting. You don't feel like, oh, I just got to go out and get sales. I got to go out and get leads or students enrollment, right? So we look at things like the physical health of the organization. So I always look at the top three in any business. Now, again, this is a very high level, broad stroke. Cash flow, return on investment, that's time and money, and also your margin, right? And so there will be times when cash flow will ebb and flow, right? And there will be times your margin will be tighter or bigger. But if you don't know your margin or tighter or larger, but if you don't know your margin on certain programs, and you've seen this in higher ed, Sarah, you can actually go into the red with growth. If you don't know what it costs to acquire the lead, the student, and then deliver the, the education, you can actually go into the red. So I look at those things and we have dashboards. I look at our enrollment dashboards daily. I look to see where we're doing with advancement, both restricted and unrestricted. And you monitor those things. And then you also monitor them along the leading and lagging indicators. So if we're up-leveling systems and processes, which we're doing, I know there's going to be some lag time in some of the results. So I'm not going to get on the team and say, oh, why is this number not where it was last year? I'm looking at leading indicators to know we're turning the ship. So those are the top three, the ROI, the cash flow, and the margin. And then those dial through each revenue area of the organization. And also looking at alternative revenue, some of it will fit our core business, some of it won't. And one thing, Sarah, is I am not afraid, our team is not afraid to bring in revenue outside of that and then handle the tax implications because we're diversifying and growing in line with our mission. And I think it's also good for the community, right? When we have alternate forms of revenue, it often can serve the larger, the greater community in different ways too. Okay, so you talked about your top three metrics, which I love. Tell me about some of the business practices and processes from an organizational standpoint that you've had to implement or amplify or boost up to just sort of match what you need to see in the metrics. Yes. Okay. So this is perfectly timed as it's happening now. So it is our team that does it. I have an incredible team of folks who are really trained up. In fact, one of the benefits of being a business and technology college is you have a lot of experts in technology and systems and IT. And our chief academic officer is also one of those. He's an incredible technology expert, cybersecurity, understands processes and systems and project management, and our chief operating officer as well. So that's been really great because how many times can you say in academics that you have someone that understands the theory of constraints, project management, time budgeting, return, all of those things, like the the critical path. So the first question I would say, you know, I think it was, I don't want to misquote it, but it might have been Elon Musk. It might have been someone else. And I'm careful to quote, you know, these people that end up in the news the next day. And then you're like, oh, no. But, you know, he said, if you didn't know how to do your job, how would you do it? So we don't want to throw everything away that we've learned, especially not in an accredited institution. That's important. 
At the same time, we have to say, what is the most critical path to getting a student enrolled? So sometimes it's looking at our current processes to make sure that they're student friendly or they're, they're friendly to our mission. And one question that we ask is, does this help us recruit and graduate more students? Does this process, does this policy, does this system, does these steps? And then if it doesn't, and it's not something that's going to violate compliance, because I'm not suggesting we would ever do that in higher ed, then we work with our technology team. We insource technology, which was great because now technology, cybersecurity, that's core business now. And we ask, how do we optimize this so that it's not arduous on a person? Because many times all this sounds great until a person goes, I know, but if I change this, I got to do 17 manual steps. So then we say, okay, how do we automate that so we can use your time for highest and best? So it's been both processes and procedures that we have in place, as well as the technology and the systems and simplifying them. So many times you go into an organization, I'm not saying this happened, I'm just saying many times you go into an organization and there's 20 different systems because somebody went over here and bought it and somebody went over here and bought it. And then we had outsourced IT that just sort of, you know, bolted everything together. We are simplifying it. We're making sure we have the minimum critical number of processes and systems, whether it's CRM, learning management, prospect management, communication tools, so that things are integrated, so that we're operating as good stewards, and so that we see better results that we can measure. If you can't measure something, how do you know it's working? So it sounds like there's a common thread of having someone who's technologically savvy to help guide some of these streamlined processes. Is that accurate? Yes. And some of that, you know, I can't really take too much credit for it. We just had some outstanding individuals at the organization that, you know, were really capable and willing to step in to lead and to have done a great job. So I've been very fortunate in that regard. You know, I say the universe has delivered that. That's been great. But I, I'm seeing more and more the importance of it. And even for me, I mean, you know, I get coached up and trained up by them or they'll mentor me and they'll say, hey, if we take this on, where does this go? It's like, yeah, that's a good point. Or how do we make sure like one of the most important jobs I have is to make sure that the team knows what the priorities are and has the bandwidth and the time to focus on it. So sometimes in higher ed, the president or a leader can go out and I'll have a meeting with somebody, right? Or they'll go to a conference. And, you know, if you talk to me, I'm not a big fan of conferences, but I understand sometimes they're necessary, but I'm not one to run out and attend them all day. I'd rather meet with alumni, students, donors, partners, and all that, businesses. And they'll they'll come back with like a lead and they'll say, oh, why don't you do this with so-and-so, right? And I remember what it was like to be in roles throughout my career where you're like, okay, I don't really have time to reach out to this person. What am I going to do? They're going to sell me something. And if I do this initiative, what's coming off my plate? I don't want to be that leader. It's like that commercial. Don't be that traveler where the you know luggage is falling. I don't want to be some... If I come back to somebody and say, look, I identify this, I better make sure I link it to our strategic plan, to priorities already in place. And I also asked the team, do you see value in it? And they've told me no at times. And I said, thank you. And then other times they've said, actually, yes, I see how this can integrate. Because I don't add value if I'm constantly coming in and adding things to the plate without staying on track. So another key critical part that we did was we looked at our strategic plan. So many times you come in an organization and there's like a 40-page plan and it's like a wish list, right? And we said, what are the priorities? We have four priorities, four focus areas. There's KPIs under each one and there's measurements. And then making sure that our budget and our advancement and revenue dollars are aligned. That way, we're all moving in the same direction. You used my phrase for strategic plans. They are often wish lists. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and a business that's operating quarter to quarter to measure profit and revenue 
they don't have that luxury. So that is where I would say, I don't want that luxury. I want to make sure that what we put on the plan is critical to running the business. It doesn't just sound good to the board. And I have an incredible board. And I, and I love talking to the board and saying, this is what we're doing. And if they say, oh, yeah, but, but what about this over here? Have you thought about that? Nope, not on the plan and not on the measurement, right? And you have to have the confidence to say that and the credibility and also at the same time hold space for new ideas. So that's always the balance at the end of the day. They're trusting me and entrusting me with this ship. That's leadership, leadership. I've got the crew. I've got the bridge crew. I've got the team throughout the ship that's doing the critical work. And by the way, the most critical people in the organization are many times not the ones you think. They're the ones that are operating in the areas that directly connect with our students, with our alumni, with our processes and systems as we're doing some software implementations. In fact, if I get a copy of this and I can share, it'll be great because they can hear it and they can know. But we have one or a couple critical people that are doing some really critical things for us in the business office area. And I think I think to myself, I'm so grateful for them and they are really important to our mission. And they're not always the ones that'll show up on the web page under the leadership team. And that's what's really important is that leaders know who those folks are by name, that they reach out to them, they encourage them, and they support them. Sounds like you have a lot of depth in your team. So what I'm hearing from you is that you're kind of taking a whole mindset approach. Like you almost have a, a unique philosophy and how you're tackling a presidency in academia. And the last time we spoke, you shared that you focus on breakthroughs not the breakdowns. Because when you're doing new things or doing things differently than maybe has been done in the past, of course you're going to have friction or obstacles or mountains to climb. So tell me about focusing on the breakthroughs, not the breakdowns. Yes, absolutely. Love that phrase. And I can't really take credit for it. That's been something my coaches have helped me do. Okay. So first, it always starts with you. It starts with me. So first, I got to look inside Susie and say, where are my weak points? Work on my blind spots. You know, I'm a big believer that you shouldn't be allowed to lead or govern others until you can first do that for yourself. So I have to make sure I'm operating in breakthrough and clarity. And the, the questions I asked, so, so you go, okay, that sounds really nice, Susie, but how does the rubber meet the road? Well, when adversity happens, I shift from, I mean, you want to know how it happened and, and who did it just so that you can reverse engineer it and in the future, don't do it again. But the first question I'm like, okay, how is this happening for me? Is this a gift? Is this helping me see a weakness in that organization? Is this helping us choose a different way? Is it helping us do a hurry up offense? We need to move faster. By the way, you can always move faster than you think. And I know there's a lot of folks on there that are hearing this going, oh no, you can't rush it. You might make mistakes. You know, if you move fast, look what happens. And I'm not talking about so fast you break the ship, but we all are capable of moving faster than we think. Nothing moves like a deadline. So that's really important. First, I get that right. The other thing is I hold space for the fact that people are going to, you know, as soon as we start changing things or pushing things or encouraging people, there's going to be that resistance that comes up. It's fear. Can I do this? Am I good enough? So I understand that. So when you were mentioning about neuroscience and the neuropsychology work I've done, it's so that I can A, better understand myself and be a better leader for others so that I can hold space for that. But I will constantly talk to people about, let's look at the breakthrough, not the breakdown. Now, we all know people, they always show up in overwhelm, they're in breakdown mode, you know, they're like, oh, this morning this happened, and then this happened, and that goes around the work of locus of control. So it's really important to me that I select leaders on the team that have that shared mindset. Doesn't mean everybody's going to be Winnie the Pooh or Eeyore or Optimist or Putt. That's not what it's about. It's about understanding that they're not going to bring that breakdown low energy, that's low-level leadership, we have a term for that, into a room. They have to hold that for the team. Then if they do that through the organization, that's what we do. 
So when you're doing change, when you're working in a, in a challenging you know, area, and every business is challenged. I know that everybody likes to say, oh, higher ed, there's never been a greater time of change. You know, And I just listen to that. I think, okay, don't focus on that, people. Like, Don't look at all about, oh, this college closed, this college merged. It's like, keep your own scorecard. Do you think Apple goes in a room and worries about Microsoft? No, but Microsoft is probably concerned about Apple, right? I want to, we're the best business and technology college in the world. We're setting our own scorecard. I'm not worried about what's happening. I mean, I, I monitor it, right? I'm not like, but that's the thing. So that's really critical, the mindset piece, the belief. And that's also important in how they show up. And by the way, there's a there's in quantum physics, in fact, my next book, which is coming out, Chief Energy Officer talks about this, you know, higher vibrational frequency. You talk about heart math. If I go into a room and I have a high energy and I'm looking at optimism and positivity and I'm thinking, okay, how are we going to get this done, right? And then someone else comes in with low energy. It doesn't matter. That high energy will always override it. So I talked to my team and we agree that we've got to bring in that higher frequency and then encourage others to do that. And that's that one-on-one coaching because most people want to get there. They just don't have the tools how, and that's the leadership and mentoring that we do. I know that was a long answer. I'll pause. Okay. Definitely. When you talked about the pace of academia, how we can move faster, that's been one of my kind of running themes of if we can move things forward faster, we might actually capture something in the marketplace that isn't being captured. And I will say, I think I move fast, but when I worked with you previously on projects, I feel like a dud. I'm like the oh. wallflower <laughs> holding everything back because compared to you, I'm a slow, I'm the slow one, right? So. No. I vouch for you on working faster because there is that opportunity cost, right? That you can lose things in the marketplace if you are not willing to move decisively. And I always think about like you put the minimal viable product out there and then you adjust as needed, right? We don't need everything to be perfect from first minute out of the gates. We can adjust and we can improve on whatever that product is. Okay, so we talked about what to focus on. Tell me a little bit about what you would let go of or what you don't really put that much of your energy into. Yeah, I mean, number one, I would say the news. And I just say the news, that's the easy one. That's personal and professional. I mean, you know, it, it's it's not actually all... Okay, so really quick, I want to go back to something you said because it answers this question. Yes, we can all move faster than we think in life and in business and make decisions faster. And there's a reason we do that. It's so that we don't burn a lot of conscious clock on things like, you know, um, the other day, like I went to work and I forgot this is going to be a funny one. So I have a little funny human moment on here. You ever forget to put on mascara? The guys are like, no, I don't have this prop. But so I did. And I was like, oh, this kind of stinks. I have a couple meetings. So I stopped at a drugstore, just pick up drugstore mascara. I think, you know, you go in and there's like a hundred options. Do you think at six or seven in the morning, I'm going to worry about that? I'm just grabbing something on the shelf. I'm like, is it going to work? Is it like, yeah, it's my, okay, great. I mean, I, you know, it's $6 or whatever. That's great. So you don't want to burn a lot of decision-making capital. At the same time, I can go too fast sometimes. And I have that's why I have folks on my team that are really strong in process and systems. So when you talk about building a, a team of different opinions and different views, they've said, Susie, we can't rush this. We need to get the processes and foundations in place first. We'll move quickly. But if we don't get that in place, even if we move quickly over here, it'll break. So I want to make sure I put that caveat in there because that's important. Now, to your question, what I don't focus on. Through the breakdown. I don't sit there and get in my head. And when I notice, and now, am I perfect? No. When I notice myself talking a lot about it. But the other thing I try not to focus on is the external environment, the world, where it doesn't directly impact our business or me. 
So I don't always know okay, who's fighting who on social media or what happened over here in Hollywood or what happened in the news because my priority is so Walsh College and moving the needle. And at times, you know, that's where my team has to say, hey, did you see this article? But I've noticed too, like if you miss something in the news, it doesn't really directly impact you. Like I was at Target, I think that day that the credit card thing went down. And I, I think I was there earlier or whatever. And I thought, oh, that's something that really could have impacted me. And it really didn't. So I don't pay attention to a lot of that noise. And then the other times, sometimes like I've had to let go of some of the more operational processes that I tend to get in the weeds of, not because I don't want to understand them, I do, but because I want to trust my team and they do it better. So the things I love to let go of are the ones I know people can do better than me. But I will say also as a leader, you still, I believe you still should have a good pulse on the organization. There have been times I've had to jump in and serve as our interim VP of advancement or our interim CFO. That was a shorter stint. And, you know, you have to have a confident working knowledge of the, the business, but you let go a lot of that negative energy. And, and, and also the other thing I've had to let go of, and this is very different and personal to me is what people think. Now, is that easy? No. I mean, I've encountered some people that are like, oh yeah, you know, I don't even care what people think of me. I'm just, and they're kind of, you know, they could kind of be brash. And I'm like, I'd like to spend a day in your world where I don't even ask myself that question. At times I would get in my head and think, oh, how is someone going to read this email for me or this communication? And I've had to let go of it, not because it's good to do, it is because it's too selfish. It's too focused on me and not on what I need to do to run the business. So a lot of that's just personal development. You know, your personal growth and development is critical to your professional success. If you hit a wall professionally, I will tell you nine times, 10 times out of 10, you have to make a personal development shift. That's interesting, that kind of self-awareness of leadership funneling into how you do business. So I hear you talk a lot about building out a team that complements your strengths and really relying on the members of your team to help you make really impactful business decisions. And we know that human capital is so important in the organizational workspace right now. How does your business-friendly approach affect your hiring decisions? In other words, how do you intentionally build your team to support your intended organizational goals? Sure. And I'm a continual student in this, by the way. I don't have it all figured out. That's why I have kind of a board of mentors or advisors that I talk with, you know, and I constantly will ask them questions. There have been two things that have guided it for me, two guiding principles. One is I literally have to ask myself, would I rehire these people again tomorrow for their jobs? And sometimes in higher ed and in any business, just because of respect for people, cadence of the business, and just other factors, that doesn't always happen right away. If you're a startup, it can't. If you're starting from scratch, you just hire your team. Yet I've challenged our leadership, and we've talked about this, to do that throughout the organization. So when I think of my leadership team, I ask myself that question. And if I can't say yes, then I have to ask, do I, and by the way, I can, but if I couldn't say yes, then I would say, can I coach them up? Or is this not the fit for them? Is this where I have to coach them out, right? Because if I don't do that, then what happens is there's a carrying cost on the organization that's not good for the person. The second thing I look for, are, are these folks invested more in the vision of the business than they are in their own position, title, or reputation? And that's really tough. And I understand that there's a continuum for that. But our leadership is all in. I think of our leadership team, our executive leaders, our officers, 
they believe so much in the business and the value and the mission and the vision of Walsh. They believe it to their core. It pulls them forward every day. And I don't want to speak for them, but I think I can because I literally will have conversations sometimes on text with them in the morning. We'll talk, you know, I know at Concordia, Sarah, there was that morning coffee that people would do on campus. We kind of have our own version of that at 5 or 5.30 a.m. On a, on a little signal app. And I love that, right? And so being able to have that um, that synergy, that energy that we flow through is really important. So I look for that in the team. And then, you know, making sure that they're there to support each other. So if they're fully invested, then they're, yeah, of course you want to pay people competitively. You want to recognize hard work and we, we want to do that and we do that. Yet they know they're not making sugar water, right? As Steve Jobs said when he recruited the COO of Pepsi, I think it was, he's like, do you want to make sugar water for the rest of your life? Do you want to come with me and change the world? They understand we are changing the world through the work we're doing at Walsh College, and that's impactful, and that that means something to be bigger than yourself. Did I hear you right? Did you just say 5.30 in the morning? You could have a little virtual huddle? It can be that way sometimes. Well, it depends. What, whoever gets up first, one of them starts the message. I'm going to guess it's you. I'm going to guess it's well, President no, it Siegel. No, no. There is a member on my team I'm thinking of who I think maybe it keeps very interesting hours, like Batman hours, like 3.30 or 4 a.m. But no, I mean, it, the idea is just to kind of ping each other. Hey, here's what's going on. And I do that with other folks as well. And people are doing that throughout the organization. There isn't this idea, this elitist group. But if if our team isn't, oh, the other thing is, there's a great quote that one of our board members, um, I'll give him credit, I'll say his name, Jerry, uh, really encouraged me on, and, and it has flown through our organization, or flowed through our organization. Flown through is a good word, too, with the speed we're moving. <laughs> well, if he's Batman, is, you know, he's probably flying. Yeah, the Batman. Yeah, yeah, I love that reference. The team you serve on, you know, he'll say is as important, if not more, as the team you lead. And I like to say it's as important, and it's very important, because you have to make sure that we're not, I don't have a team of folks where there's infighting. That is not something that would work for me. I, I really love when people can work. You now it's challenge and support. It doesn't mean you just are like, everything's great. You didn't hit your numbers. No problem. You know, but it's the idea that we're challenging, we're supporting, we're helping each other. You have to do that for the organization. You can't have a house divided. So one of the things that I've noticed about business-friendly organizations is that they're part of their larger community. And so colleges in particular do need to serve the wider community, right? Whether it's through service, uh, maybe they yes. have a hospital, maybe they are serving the employer needs. Tell me how you view the role of industry partnerships in building Walsh College's business-friendly mindset. Okay. So you won't hear me say this often, but I will now because that's my doctorate is in higher education. And I remember learning about the American college and university and even the, the national college, you know, the global ones, because we had some over in the UK, you know, Oxford and Cambridge. And the idea was, is that there was this really dynamic synergy between the college, the learning institution and community and society, where it was really equipping, training up citizens and society and business and, and just a really great citizenship overall. There was that community, that synergy, that was kind of the, the core of education is to create better better communities, better marketplaces. So what does that look like in 2023? So in a lot of ways, that has been a through line that has knit through the fabric of time. And what I look at is we're a business and technology college. We want to be the college, the training organization for businesses and technology. And that is important that we bring that into our ecosystem. So our faculty are practitioner instructors, meaning that they have actually worked in the fields they're teaching. A lot of our adjuncts are continuing to work in those fields. So they bring real life in. So business comes in that way. At the same time, our community partners help feed with enrollment. We offer professional development. 
as we've talked about, and, and you may have seen in the news, we even have companies that have incubated and co-located with us. We have a the ninth largest theater operator in North America, Imagine Entertainment's corporate office, is now upstairs in our fabulous facility at Walsh College. And we're in talks with other organizations and companies to incubate space. This has a natural synergy, the exchange of business, higher education. We're building a true learning community and learning campus. It amplifies both. So I would say we have a responsibility to our students and alumni. We're delivering our mission to make sure that we are connected to the community as well as to business. So we stay on pulse. And we have a responsibility to the businesses to make sure we're delivering the education, the outcomes. Are we producing the students that they need to go out in the world for better citizenship and better professionals? So it's this awesome feedback loop and synergy. And when you come on our campus, you can tell the life of it. Even though a lot of our students are taking remote and hybrid courses, there's a certain business and industry energy that we are building and growing that is incredible. And I think that's where you really see the value and the best of higher ed and the best of business. So speaking of that, tell me about where you've hit resistance, right? And trying to have that business mindset and running an academic institution. Where have you hit the challenges, the minefields? Where's mm-hmm. where's the friction been? Okay, so remember what I said, it always starts with us and always starts with the leader, right? So I'll first start with me. Sometimes it's been in my own mind. It's been my own, you know, self-worth conversations of, can I do this? Am I really ready? Right. And the board knows that when we were first having conversations, I wasn't sure, you know, I, I wanted it. Like, I was like, this is the most amazing place. Like, this is the gem of an institution. If I were going to build an entrepreneurial business and technology college, it would look like Walsh, you know? And so a lot of the resistance I've noticed has come up from me, belief systems I have around, we can't do this because, or I'm so worried if I change too much what the organization will think. Do they trust me? Do they know that I'm not in it for Susie? I mean, you can look at the 990s to see that. I'll just leave it at that. Like I'm in it because I truly want to be part of something bigger and I'm going to make mistakes. And I know that I'm not going to see something and I'm not everybody's cup of tea, right? Like, I mean, I understand that. So that's number one. Now, let me answer the question from an organization. If I know that about myself, then I can certainly hold space and have a heart that other folks through the organization, as we're changing things and moving rapidly, because that's the pace of change in today's world, may have that come up as well and may be concerned. And I remember, you know, one thing about change in leadership, this is funny, you and I can kind of relate to this when we spend time at Concordia. When you're not the one making the change, it can be very destabilizing. So it's kind of like driving in a car, like I get a little car sick or vertigo if I'm a passenger because I don't know when there's acceleration, when they're going to turn. But when you're driving, you kind of know when you're going to make those steering adjustments, when you're turning and everything else. So it's really important to me as a leader that I'm communicating with people and you can never do it enough. And even if I did it every single day with every single person in the organization, which would you know take all of my day, I probably wouldn't do it enough. But you can't, you have to kind of balance it. Um, but when you're not the one making the change, it can feel that way. And so I have a great heart for that. And I really understand that. And at the same time, I try to build the trust and the accessibility to me to say, let me explain why we're doing this, where we're going, and that we'll be accountable if we make a mistake or if it doesn't pan out. And that's going to happen. We, we're doing like four or five, maybe it's more software implementations to get things where we need to be to run the business. And unfortunately, you can't always do these things in due time because of the way contracts come up and other systems are built on them and you have other concerns. And, you know, one didn't go the way that we were hoping. And I had to own that and I had to say, look, you know, this might have been selected before some of the people now. Doesn't matter. As a leader, you own it all, right? 
And here's what we're doing to fix it. We know that it's going to look like we have to backtrack to come back. And here's how we're going to make this right. And we and I lost a lot of sleep over it in a good way. I was thinking about our people. I was thinking about how do I insulate them and all of that. So long answer to a short little um, snippet, which is understanding first in myself where that comes up and holding space for others, but also building the trust and saying, look, we've got this. We're going to do this together. And then communicating through the change. And sometimes people just have to see the results to come along. And that's okay. That's a really important point is recognizing how you personally might feel if a particular change was being implemented, right? So you're being asked to do something totally different as opposed to, oh, I fully believe in this change. Let's run after it because I can see the vision. I I, will get there, guys. Just trust me. Recognizing how it feels on the other end, right? As the Yeah, 100%. Now, there is some of that. I will say, though, I mean, as much as I'd love to eliminate all of that, there are times when, you know, and and I know this, like, in any organization, there are just people that you just trust more than others. And that's on me to engender that. Now, I mean, you know, some folks, they're just, and that's okay. I love these people because they help me see if, if I'm missing something. They're just more suspicious than others because of their paths, right? We always are, like our brains are these incredible pattern matching machines. We're always matching against the paths. And so if you're in an organization for 20, 30 years and you've experienced leadership that hasn't been genuine, that has been out for themselves, that's made more than proportionate revenue, that isn't showing up the way you want, you're going to come forward with that and you're going to kind of look at new leadership through that lens. And I can understand that. At the same time, good self-leadership says, well, hold on, this is a new individual. Let me get to know them. Let me spend some time in with them. And you got to build trust. So there are times I'll have to say to people, just like Captain Picard on the Enterprise, I love Star Trek, will say, you have to trust where we're going. At the same time, you can't do that every time. You have to explain to people where things are. But, you know, I, I think about some of the best organizations and the leadership had such a good relationship with the board. I think about even at Concordia at times where the, sometimes the leadership would make a recommendation and the board would say, well, we don't see all the pieces, but we just trust this team so much. Go ahead. And that's kind of that what you need. But that takes time to build. At the same time, I want to communicate why we're doing what we're doing, what we're seeing, knowing that everybody's going to see it the same way. And that we're doing it because we believe it's in the best interest of the organization, which also is in the best interest of the, the the staff as well. You know, those things can be connected. And I know you mentioned that you like to cut out the clutter and the noise of what's happening at other institutions. But I want you to stretch yourself for a moment and think about mm-hmm. what do you think will happen to institutions that continue to cling to maybe more traditional models of academia? So maybe a slower rate of change or not looking at ROI and cash flow as closely as you're looking at them. What do you think might happen? Yeah, I'd answer that like it would any business. It really depends on where your money is, how many assets you have, your cash. You know, sometimes you can have a lot of assets, but not be liquid. You know, I mean, I kind of think about it like business. Businesses and I'm like, my mind will immediately, even though I might, you know, it's funny people like, if you think, if you hear me talk, it, it can sound like, or I've heard feedback, it's like, well, you come from business and entrepreneurship. Actually, no. I mean, I'm as higher ed as it can get since 2005, right? And my doctor. So, so it's kind of cool because I have that training in higher ed and I have the depth and the DNA. And at the same time, I have the simplicity of like looking at the business. So, if you have institutions that have billion dollar endowments or 100, you know, $100 million endowments, they might be fine operating in a more traditional way because they have a way to fund and fuel that operation. If you have institutions that are more dependent on revenue of the moment, like uh, you know tuition revenue or advancement, they may have to change their business model. So it, it's hard to predict. You know, I think after COVID, everybody's like done making predictions, right? Two weeks and now it's like years. 
at the same time, I think it depends on their business model. You'd have to go in and see. So, so that's where I wouldn't be so arrogant to say, well, what works at Walsh is going to work at another place. It may be totally different. I think you have to ask yourself, but, but there, there are a couple of things I want to stress here. Okay, so it's going to depend on the institution's model. And it's also going to depend on what money they have in the bank and how they're funding their operations. And, you know, there is a world where you could see an institution saying, we're not going to charge any tuition. We're going to not run a, because we have other forms of passive income. And there are people that do that in their life. They don't have to work for a salary. And that's the whole goal of building independence and wealth is your passive income outpaces your, your active income. Here are the caveats. There is a way money works in the world. Now, for people of faith, we'll understand that from like a spiritual context, but you don't even need to go there. You can, the universe has a way that money works where if you're not a good steward with money, it doesn't multiply. It's the strangest thing. If you're generous and you give and you're a good steward and you do well with what you have, there's sort of this karmic effect where you'll get more. So in that regard, if an institution is operating, I believe, in a way that aren't good stewards that are like, well, we just have to keep people or we just have to keep this because of this, you're not going to see good fruit. Or if the leadership is off-center, if they're engaging in things they shouldn't be doing, right? And now you can look around higher ed news for that. Then you're not going to see good fruit. So that's why it's really important to me that I stay centered, that I stay focused, and then also that our team does. But I think there's a way money operates. I know there is in the world. So that is laying over what I just said. And that's not something everybody sees because they just think of things as actions and transactions. And I think, you know what? If I'm generous and I give more to my institution because of the way I'm doing it, it's going to produce bigger fruit. I've seen this in my own life where I've stretched and I've given, like I give a lot on my paycheck every month and I'll juice it up on our giving days. And on those days, it kind of hurts because I'm like, oh, I don't know how to do this because what are other, then you get in your own head. Like, well, what are other people? And then when I do it, like some random thing will happen where I'll get like a random check. You know, like you'll just be like, how did this happen? Because of the way money works. So if you understand that as a leader and that you understand your business model, I think you're set up for success. All right. As we're wrapping up here, I have a final question for you. What's your best advice for college leaders to operate a financially viable institution? It could be related to kind of the kind of business practices we've talked about, but it could be something else entirely. All right. It's like taking the whole hour and funneling it in. So what's my best advice? Stay open to learning and studying from people who have done it and are continuing to do a good job. And sometimes that is not always higher ed. So I say that with a caveat because I'm not suggesting higher ed lose every wonderful thing about it. I love higher ed. That's why I'm doing this. And I don't work at Morgan Stanley or I don't work at another company. Apple. I not company names, but I, and they're great companies. I'm just saying there's a reason I'm doing what I do, right? But I think you have to be open to learning. And I was just listening. Actually, I was listening to this awesome podcast this morning with Grant Cardone, who wrote the 10X Rule and has a great example in his own life where he went from being completely broke, right? This is not somebody that lucked into money and now is a billionaire. And he talks about in life, or I think in the world, there's like 22 million people that have a million dollars or more. They're millionaires. Only 3% inherited it. So you have to study from people that have that billion dollar mindset. Not because you, you, you say, well, my goal is a billion dollars, but because who you become in the process and how you think you will be able to uplevel the institution. At that being said, you have to measure and what you measure moves. And so having a good pulse on where's just like in your own finances, where's the revenue or what are the expenses? And sometimes it's keeping it simple, not getting too much in our own head. So I think it's, it's twofold. One is always be learning and studying from people that are doing better than your institution instead of saying, well, they're not like me because. They're not like me because. Now, 
Walsh is very different because it's not a traditional four-year college. We don't have dorms. We don't have athletics. We don't have a lot of the stuff that eats up a lot of the, uh, the margin. At the same time, it's the mindset piece to say, okay, this is maybe how we did things before, but how would we operate differently? I think if you stay open to that learning and you have input and you're constantly managing it and also to set goals and you have to put timelines on things. We're afraid to put timelines on things. Like if I said to somebody, when are you going to have this done? Can you have it done by first? Oh, I don't know if I can have it done. Like I always put a goal and it's actually the opposite. It's like quicksand. In quicksand, you think you have to move faster to get out. It's the opposite. If you actually put a time frame on there, you'll hit it or you'll deliver early. But it's because we've let ourselves down so much we don't. So put time frames on. By this date, we will be here. We will be here. Because what will happen is the brain of all the leaders and the collective brain of the company will find a way to get there or they'll find a way to say, Houston, we have a problem. We need a new system in place if we're going to get there. It's incredible what happens when you put things down, when you write down goals and timelines and you measure things. And I, I was not always like this. I didn't like that because I felt it was too constraining. It is free. So becoming a learning organization is key to success long term. Excellent. And being willing to do things financially that, again, fit the model and are consistent with compliance and don't you know injure the higher education mission, but are outside the box of maybe how traditional higher ed does it. So like traditional higher advancement, let's go ask for money for philanthropy. That's important because, again, generosity fuels. Well, how about we rain make? How about we offer alumni professional development member? Like, what can we do that people say, well, nobody's done that in higher ed before? Okay, that's fine. Yeah, that's fantastic. I'm not worried about what other people are doing, Microsoft. I'm worried about how do we get this ship strong and stable, consistent with our mission to change the world. And there's nothing like money pressure that opens up innovation and opportunity. So I actually like money pressure because it makes me do things that get out of my own way and innovate and create. I would imagine there's lots of people listening who would love to contact you and continue this conversation. How could people reach out to you and learn more about you? And yeah, no, I would be happy to. And, you know, especially if folks like the stuff on mindset and locus of control, we didn't even talk about all that. That could be a whole other podcast. But that all was stuff I wanted to write for me is content I wanted to produce for me in leadership. And then the book coming out, Chief Energy Officer, boy, that one is going to be a powerhouse that is really giving tools to people. And the concept of that is you don't have to be the the top dog or the top leader at an organization to be the chief energy officer. But I'd find me on LinkedIn. That's the best place. So if you just put Susie, S-U-Z-Y, Siegel, S-I-E-G-L-E on LinkedIn, and we can even, I don't know if you're going to send this out, we can drop a link to that. Just connect with me on LinkedIn, reach out. Um, you know, I keep my own calendar. I check my own emails. I check my own. So, so I'd be happy to connect more and, and talk more about it. And, and, and I learn from others too. So if there's folks out there in higher ed leadership listening, I'd love to connect with you and talk about what are you seeing and what are you doing that's working really well. Staying connected to the breakthrough. What's working? We will include your LinkedIn and your books in our show notes. Thanks so much, Sarah. Yeah, thank you, Susie. So thank you everyone listening. Thank you. Talk soon. To support the cause of the affordable college experience, visit us at highlevelleadership.com. Read our blog and join our email list to get connected. Follow us and leave a positive review on your favorite podcast app. Let's get down to college business.